Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil. What are we going to be doing today, Mike? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. I've changed my name to Phillet of Fish. <laughs> oh, boy. I see the uh, the fish and water puns are flying fast and early in this episode, huh? Well, on a scale of one to ten, <laughs> I think I've got the listeners hooked in. I bow down to your your pun mastery, sir. I am uh, I'm not. You know, it's much earlier in the morning here today than it is for you, so I'm not ready for. Uh, you know, I don't have the, the, the puns at the ready like you do. But yeah, it's at the time of recording. It's lunchtime for me. It's just after breakfast for Mike. A little out of the ordinary morning recording for us. So uh, I'm not quite 100%. Uh, I'm not ready to verbally spar with Phil just yet. I think I may have schooled you on that. But, uh, I'm, <laughs> if, I could, if you could see me, I'd be waving. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mercy kill this before we lose all of our listeners. But Phil, <laughs> why don't you tell our listeners why we're so enamored with all the fish and water puns today? Yes, because we're going after the ending of June. <laughs> oh. oh boy, you're just you're just feeling yourself this morning, aren't you? Oh, I, I'm I'm so amusing myself. Yes, we're doing uh, an after the ending for Dune, the Desert Planet movie. Uh, so that, of course, inspired water puns. Yes, I don't know what we're actually going after the ending of Thank You for Smoking and Waterworld. Yes, yes, a lot uh, a lot to talk about actually. Thank you for smoking a great little indie film in Waterworld, which I've been slightly obsessed with. Uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, also today, we're going to be debuting finally our new second half feature uh which is going to be called 100 stars of hollywood in 100 episodes so not Ooh. not a terrible difference from our last name that sounds interesting mike i wish i'd known more about <laughs> it before we recorded this episode <laughs> well i wanted to make it a surprise for you as well as the listeners Phil, so <laughs> good luck uh, i hope you can think fast on your feet now we'll see how much that time difference really makes makes a difference well i'm in the future so i'm already ahead of the game that's right that's right you're five hours ahead of me mm. uh but we'll explain that when we get to it we're going to keep you in suspense for a little bit but uh, i mean you could probably figure it out if you thought really hard about it. I can't. We'll give you the full breakdown not got a clue. <laughs> in, the, uh, in the second half of the show. But for now, why don't we get into our ending, shall we, Phil? Shall I crack on with Thank You for Smoking? Yeah, why don't you give us the rundown of that film? Okay, this is uh, from 2005, a little indie film, as you say, written and directed by Jason Reitman. Uh, Nick Naylor, played by Aaron Eckhart, he's the chief spokesperson, a lobbyist, and also vice president of the Academy of Tobacco Studies. He basically goes around giving talks and interviews, defending the tobacco companies and industry and questioning various health uh, opinions, you know, which says tobacco is bad for you, stuff like that. And he's very good at it. He's good at talking. He's got a gift of the gab. He can he can convince most people about the things. He's also friends with a gun lobbyist, uh, Bobby J. Bliss, played by David Kirchner, and alcohol lobbyist uh, Polly Bailey, played by uh, Maria Bello. Uh, they meet up every week and call themselves the Merchants of Death or the Mod Squad. But... Uh, in his job, Naylor suggests that to help boost their cigarette sales, that product placement once again be used of cigarettes in films and TV. He goes uh, speaking to different people. He pays off a guy who used to be the marble man, you know, advertising it, a legend in the field who's now suffering with cancer. But he, uh, Nick pays him not to talk about that. Uh, and he goes on a t- Nick goes on a tour with his son, Joey, uh, to these various meetings. And they, they bond a bit. And his son sees what his dad does and how he does it. It ends up, though, uh, Nick receives a death threat and ends up being kidnapped and covered with nicotine patches. Turns out his smoking, though, saves him from death due to the uh, the nicotine resistance he's got. But, however, he can never smoke uh, cigarettes again as he's now hypersensitive to nicotine. He has a fling with the reporter Heather Holloway, played by Katie Holmes, and she ends up writing a damaging ex- expose about him. And Naylor is fired and his will comes crumbling down. But his son helps pull him out of his depression and Nick opens a private lobbying firm and the mod squad continues to meet up but now with new members covering lots of different places and uh, uh, industries, and Naylor meets, oh, and Nick meets with a cell phone industry representative who uh, are concerned about claims that cell phones cause brain cancer, and they'd like Nick to help them with that. And that's uh, thank you for smoking. 
Very nicely done. Thank you. Yeah, it doesn't. It sounds a bit dry from just the writer, but it's it's very funny. It's got a great dialogue. It's good script. Great performances. But it's uh, that's the basic plot of the film. Well, it's funny because I'll. I think the probably the the one line from the movie that most people might remember from the commercials is William H Macy going, "The great state of Vermont will not apologize for its cheese." <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> when when Nick suggests that you know that the the, the cheese manufacturer should be responsible for warning because cheese causes heart attacks, and it's funny because I saw this movie originally in Vermont. Oh wow! Because okay. uh, my family, my wife's family, lives up there, so we were in a movie theater in Vermont, and when he said that line, the audience like erupted into cheers and clapping and laughter. Uh, which was just a really fun experience because no other place in the country would you have that response to that line. Oh, can imagine. Um, but it is, it is, a, it's a great film actually. It's really funny. It's clever. It's it's smart. It's witty. Um, you know, it does have some some dramatic stuff to it. It does have some heft to it. It's not just a comedy. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Has a lot of sly commentary on on current social and political stuff. You know. Oh, totally. On the cast, you mentioned uh, uh, William H Macy, but it's also got uh, Sam Elliott, Kim Dickens, Robert Duvall. Lots of, and loads of faces, loads of people. You go, that's that guy, that's that woman right. we know her from. That. Lo- right. Loads of great character actors and yeah, a lot of them popping up for a couple that. of scenes and then you know sort of moving on. It's that that kind of great. Yeah, oh, Rob Lowe, where... he's in it as well, isn't he? Yeah, Rob Lowe yep, as well. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a good film though. It's probably one many, many people haven't seen, but it's if it's on if it's on a streaming service uh, that you've got access to, have a look. It's uh, it's a, it's a good one to pass the time. It's good. It's a good watch. Agreed. Agreed. That's the rundown. Then what have you got for your day after? Okay. Well. Nick is walking out of Congress, testifying in a huge congressional meeting about the potential dangers of cell phones in regards to brain cancer. As he finds himself surrounded by the press, an attractive woman catches his eye. She's making her way through the throng of reporters and staring right at Nick. His curiosity peaked. Nick looks past the nearest reporter and says, And how can I help you, miss? The woman stops in front of Nick and replies, Mrs. actually, Mrs. Tammy Taylor. My son was Brandon Taylor. Brandon Taylor, that name sounds, Nick starts, but he never gets to finish the thought as Tammy Taylor pulls out a handgun and shoots Nick squarely in the chest. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. I went a little dark. <laughs> well, I didn't expect that. I was, for a minute there, I was thinking, have you got something I've written? Because I'm the one who usually ends up killing people. And... Yeah, right, right. Well, yeah. you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see if he lives or not, but, you know. Okay. Uh, I like it. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's hear what you've got then for your day after. Okay. During the latest meeting of the Mud Squad, Nick was only half listening. The conversation danced around many different subjects, and bits of them seemed to get mixed up in Nick's mind. This jumbled mess of ideas suddenly seemed to coalesce in his brain, and for a moment, he wished he could still smoke a cigarette. Don't smoke, kids. Not good for you. That's right. Instead, he looked over at the people sat around him. Finishing his coffee, he stood up and said, Everybody shut up! He was greeted by a bemused silence. He paced around the table, and then he began to talk. It was an incredible speech that covered all facets of American life, the human condition, and so much more. I'd love to be able to repeat it for you, but uh, it's copyright. <laughs> right, of course. But it was truly awe-inspiring. Obviously, I could write something just as good as that, but we're, we're, we're stuck for time, so I've got to keep right. it short. Yeah. So can you sum that up for me? Asked Bobby J. Bliss. Nick smiled and said, instead of lobbying the government, we need to become the government. I'm going to run for office. Oh, cool. But what about all the recent scandals you've had? Asked Polly. Doesn't matter, said Nick. It just makes me seem more human. People love that crap. Bobby, Bobby, what was that old campaign slogan that Reagan used back in the 80s? Uh, Let's make America great again, said Bobby. And that's my day after. Well, thankfully, I mean, as terrifying as that seems, I know that no, you know, scandal ridden, unqualified person could ever get elected president in this in this day and age. So I'm I'm glad that this is just a fictional ending, Phil. Yeah, well, we don't we don't get any. uh news from the rest of the world here in the uk so right just, just, you're just, working in a vacuum yeah yeah i get it i like oh. it all right very thank nicely you, done thank you. i thought i thought they'd go really far-fetched yeah i'm I, I like that you know it's good to bring a little kind of fantasy into these things you know yeah because everybody everybody will be going that's ridiculous <laughs> right exactly that's what i like about it right yeah keeps that's keeps with the whimsy and the humor of the film yeah you know right yeah that's what Okay, well, that's that was my day after. What's going on with your immediate aftermath after this gunshot? Yes, well, that's what we're going to get into here. So nine months later, Nick lies in a coma in a nearby hospital. The doctors were able to save his life, but he never woke up after the multiple surgeries that were required to keep him alive. <sighs> Finally, one day, he starts to stir. Mm. The medical staff flies into a frenzy, and before long, Nick is conscious again. Nick's ex-wife, Sarah, and his son, Joey, are soon by his side. What happened? Nick asks. Sarah explains that Tammy Taylor had a teenage son named Brandon. He started smoking as a young boy and died when he developed a blood clot in his brain that was linked to his cigarette use. She blamed Nick and his tobacco lobbying for her son's death. What happened to her? Nick asked. 
She was captured immediately and sentenced to 16 years in prison, Sarah replies. Nick falls silent, and as he looks out the window of the hospital room, he finds his thoughts drifting back to the day he was shot, and a look on the woman's face as she pulled the trigger. He couldn't place it right away, but finally he realized what it was. It was the look of relief. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, it's interesting. Okay. Hmm. So, more to come. More to come. I like it. Thank you. All right, well, let's hear what's going on with this completely unrealistic uh, run for office that, that you're writing about. Okay. Uh, Nick, the Mod Squad, and his many friends and acquaintances had been in overdrive for the past few months. Money had been raised, posters printed, and meetings had been organized. Although he had no experience in political office, Nick had spent many years talking to people at all levels of the American government. At first, he'd been unsure as to what role he should go for, which office, things like this. He was, you know, it was, there's so many different levels of government he just didn't know what to do, but some of them you needed various. You needed to have like law degrees, things like that. You needed you needed years of experience, uh, various, you know, you had to come from different schools, different things of studying. So instead, he realized that with the little experience he had in government, he just needed to go for it. So he decided to go for the easiest role out there. He was going to run for president. <laughs> uh-huh. Again, it's this is the spirit of the film. It's not my opinion. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I mean, listen, you you live in England. You don't even know a thing about what happens in American politics. Yeah. So clearly I don't even know all... what the president is. Right, right, exactly. What's yeah. a president? You mean prime minister? Yeah, yeah something like this must be a prime minister. Or somebody, right. prece- precedent, maybe somebody gives presents. Right. I don't know. <laughs> but that's my immediate aftermath. I like it. I like it. Thank you. What's going on then with, uh, with your Nick and your long term? Okay, well, a month later, with Nick out of the hospital and feeling healthy again, he pulls up at the Pelican Bay State Prison. He gets buzzed through security and sits down in the visiting area. He looks around nervously, unsure of what he's going to say. Finally, Tammy Taylor is brought out and sat opposite him. She looks at Nick but doesn't say a word. Mrs. Taylor, Tammy, I wanted you to know, well, I wanted you to know that I'm incredibly sorry about what happened to your son. I understand why you blame me. After a long silence, Tammy says, I was... Not well when I, well, what I did, what I did. I know it's not your fault. I just, I miss him so much. Nick nods and the two sit there in silence for a few minutes. Then Tammy speaks up. So what are you going to do next? She asks. It's funny. I've been thinking a lot about that for the last month, Nick replies. I think it's time to make a few changes in my life. And he pulls out a business card and hands it to Tammy. She looks at it and reads the block of text. Nailer Associates, Victims Advocacy Group. A tear falls from Tammy's eye as she takes Nick's hand in her own. Then she holds the card up to her heart and says, thank you. And that's the end. Oh, that's very nice. I like that. Thanks. Yeah, I figured, you know, yeah. I don't know if I buy that Nick would have a change of heart necessarily, but, you know, it's my ending, so I can do whatever I want, you know. And he's still doing what he's, he loves, it's not about what he's representing, it's just about the talk and winning the arguments, that's what it is for Nick. Right, exactly. And so I think that, you know, in his, in the character's world, he'd probably be perfectly happy to continue going on lobbying for these things that may or may not be good for people. But like I said, in my ending, I feel like yeah. this brush with death gave him a, a new perspective. It would be it would be a new challenge for him arguing that side of things. Right, right. But he could certainly yeah. do it. He's, he's talented enough, I yeah. think. So Definitely, yeah. Very nice. Very good. Good ending. Thank you very much. All right. Well, let's hear what's going on with yours, which gets more and more ridiculous with every every section. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, America. I mean, you know, you don't know, Phil. You know, you just you're you just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's just it, Mike. I'm a fool. I don't know anything. Right. So we will forgive you. This is all just pure poppycock and imagination. Exactly. It's a a flight of fantasy, if you will. Yeah. It's probably how is he going to become president with that thing? I I don't even know. It's never going to happen. No. Nick's never going to become president. That seems unlikely. Okay. My long term. Okay. A couple of years later and Nick couldn't believe it. He'd won. He was now president of the United (laughs) States of America. (laughs) He thought it would have been an absolute slog, but it had been super easy, brilliant and convenience. <laughs> the other slogan he had used, I believe in Nick Naylor, had also proved very successful. Turns out, if you just said whatever people wanted to hear, they'd go for pretty much any promise or lie you tell. <laughs> Nick actually found it quite scary that it had been so simple. He wondered how many previous presidents had thought the same thing. Now he sat in the Oval Office, a stack of papers in front of him. He wasn't sure what he should do. He took a minute, shrugged and went, oh, I'll think of something. And he picked up the phone. And that's my end. Uh, I like it very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, very nice. Well, maybe maybe in the future that can serve as sort of a, a cautionary tale to make sure that nothing like that could ever happen. I mean, as unrealistic as, as that is. Well, if you want to, but, you know, as I say, it's, it's just it's pure fiction. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very well done, though. I like it. Thank you very much. 
and apologies apologies to anybody who may feel an apology is owed. Yeah, but there you go. This was just this was done all in jest. Yeah, it's all all in good fun. Yeah. All right. Well, Phil, I believe it's time to say thank you for trivia. So, what do you got for us? Okay, no one has actually shown smoking a cigarette in the entire movie. Oh wow, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, that's very interesting. Uh, Jason Reitman, who wrote and, and directed the film, he wrote individual letters to each of the stars in the film telling them why they'd be right uh, for the role. Cool. And every one of those first choices accepted their part. Nice. Uh, Rob Lowe filmed all of his scenes in one day. Huh. And the rifle that Sam Elliott uses was Elliott's own personal Winchester model, uh, 1894 or 1894. I don't know how. I don't know about guns, so I don't know how you, you do that one. Uh, but Elliott had brought it with him to the set that day. He just happened to have it with him. <laughs> So that's uh, that's the one he used. So I have to say, in, in the 103 episodes of the show that we've done, finding out that Sam Elliott has his own personal Winchester rifle might be the least surprising piece of trivia yeah. that I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. He just, it's, <laughs> I, he was probably born with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's born with that and the mustache. Right, right. He came out of the womb with a mustache and a rifle. Yeah. The doctor's going, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right, though. Yeah, uh, Sam Elliott's just going, well, that was a real bad impression of Sam Elliott. <laughs> I don't know, was it? Uh, all right. Anyway, uh, okay. Well, there you go. So that is Thank You for Smoking. Let's move on then to one of the most notorious films of the 90s, Waterworld. So do you want to give a rundown to the events in Waterworld? I certainly will. So Waterworld, 1995, directed by Kevin Reynolds, starring Kevin Costner, Dennis Hopper, Gene Triplehorn, Tina Majorino, and Michael Jeter. Far in the future, the polar ice caps have melted and the world is covered with water. Island-like atolls serve as floating cities, and the smokers are raiders who terrorize the few people left. A mysterious mariner, played by Kevin Costner, rides his giant trimaran ship and comes to an atoll, where we discover he's a mutant with gills that lets him breathe underwater. When the smokers attack, led by the deacon, played by Dennis Hopper, the mariner takes a woman named Helen and a girl named Enola with him. Enola has a map tattooed on her back that supposedly leads the way to the mythical dry land. The Mariner and the Smokers clash several times, leading to a showdown on the Exxon Valdez, which is the Smokers' floating headquarters. The Mariner destroys it and kills the Deacon while saving Enola, who had been kidnapped. The Mariner, Helen, and Enola are rescued by Gregor and Nord, a scientist and the leader from the atoll that they had left. They plot a course for dry land using Enola's tattoo, and eventually they find it. The Mariner helps them get set up, then leaves once again, claiming that he belongs out on the sea. And that is Waterworld. That's a good uh, That's a good rundown of what happened in the film. Thank you. Yep. So, Phil, yes? how do you feel about Waterworld? I know you like to make water-related puns, but how do you feel about the film? <laughs> yeah, Waterworld, I, I know it got it slated a lot, and I can see why it did. Uh, but I, I, I like some of it. I don't like other bits. I love the bits, especially the first third, mainly when it's just Kevin Costner on, uh, on his boat. Right. Bits where he's just surviving and going under the water, things like I, I love seeing all that side of it. It's sort of when the, the story kicks in, it, it sort of just becomes a bit, you know, generic y. Right. Yeah, I've not seen, I know you've recently seen it and you've seen the new, the uh, the, the cut, which has loads of footage put back in. Yeah. Because uh, I did feel like there was stuff missing and it was just, it just, I think it also, the whole, the news of its production, because it, it sort of, it was in all the newspapers and things at the time and on TV with how, you know, there's lots of mess going on behind the scenes. It went over budget, all these problems. I think that overshadowed the actual film. When you, if you hadn't heard any of that and watched the film, you may well have enjoyed it a little bit more. Right. But uh, on the whole, I thought, yeah, it was okay. Give it like a, you know, a six out of 10. Okay. That's maybe, fair. Maybe a seven yeah. out of 10. Sure. Is it, yeah, but... Uh, but that's what about you? Well, you know, I've always liked Waterworld. It's never one of my favorite films or anything, you know, but I always thought yeah. it, it kind of had a bad rap. I thought it was an enjoyable enough movie, but um, I've certainly recently gained a new appreciation for it. Uh, so Arrow Films is this really cool home video company. They put out this just beautiful box set, you know, limited edition collector's version of Waterworld, and it includes um, three different cuts of the film. One of them is what they call the Ulysses cut, which is basically... So there was a TV version of the movie which had like 40 minutes of footage put back in. But, of course, it was censored for television. And this Ulysses cut is basically like the the, the same version but without all the censored stuff. So it kind of puts back in any of the stuff that had been censored. So it's basically yeah. like a yeah. three-hour version of Waterworld, which I guess to some people sounds like a nightmare. But uh, I loved it, actually. And, you know, I mean, the movie still has some flaws. It's never going to be a perfect film. But I think the longer cut really does flesh out the whole world and the characters and – I just thought it makes it a much better movie, and I really enjoyed watching it. Um, and then there's also a feature-length documentary. Uh, it's about almost two hours long about the making of the film, and it's a new documentary, so it's got a lot of 
you know, retrospective looks back from the from the filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. And it does talk about the controversy controversy and the budget and everything. Um, but it's really impressive and it really does give you a good sense of why the film was so expensive and so arduous to make. Um, so I just have a new appreciation for Waterworld. I'm sort of really enjoying being in the Waterworld universe for uh, the past couple of weeks, digging through this whole set. So I, I do like the film, but I definitely think that the longer cut is is the way to go. Yeah, yeah, I want to check that out now after you've been after we've been talking about it. it does sound yeah sound it sounds at least worth a watch anyway. It, I think it is. It definitely like yeah. the stuff about like using the girl's tattoo as a mat makes a lot because like in the original cut of the movie, it's kind of like he kind of like looks at her tattoo and then like turns it upside down and goes, oh well, then dry land is that way, and you're kind of like uh, really like that's it, you know? Whereas in the yeah. In the the longer cut, like he uses like a sextant and like there's like a map and Kevin Costner tells him about the the underwater cities and he uses that to orient himself and stuff. So it's it's it makes more. I mean, it still doesn't make perfect sense, but it certainly is a lot more feasible, you know. Yeah, it makes. Yeah, you're not suddenly going. Well, what's that? That doesn't. Yeah, okay. And then um, there's a nice bit at the end, which is a scene I never understood why they cut out, but uh, where they're on dry land and uh, Helen and Enola are watching the Mariner sail away, and they they look down and they realize that there's a, a plaque kind of hidden in the grass that says, you know, this is the point at which Sir Edmund Hillary climbed to the peak of Mount Everest in 1939, and you realize that you know what's left of dry land is yeah. basically the top of Mount Everest, which is a really cool kind of you know. Not a twist per se, but sort of a twist ending type of thing, or like a neat reveal. Uh, that yeah, they, that they, just it just gives you this because you go, well, that's the highest place, so then that, there can't be anything more. Right, right, and it also yeah. just gives it kind of like a ooh, that's neat, you know, type yeah. of, type of yeah. feel. But uh, so I, I really liked, I liked it. I liked the film. I certainly have a new appreciation for Waterworld. Oh, excellent. But, okay, well, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it then. Why don't you go ahead and give us your day after? Okay. Travel was slow on the new boat, but the mariner had all the time in the world. He thought back to his time with Helen and Anola, and he found he missed them. Having now known the company of others, he found that being alone was a little bit harder. Still, he'd not let that stop him, but he vowed to be more open-minded should he come across any more ships or settlements. He kept to that promise, as when he crossed paths with a ramshackle collection of ships and rafts a few weeks later, he stayed for a few days. He helped them with repairs and gathered food for them. He made some good trades, and managed to get some basic upgrades on his boat before he headed off once more. That's my day after. All right, I like it. So a slightly uh, softer, kinder Mariner. Yeah, yeah. He's been changed by his experience, which is uh, all well and good. I like that. He's a pretty gruff character. When you watch the film again, especially in the longer cut, oh, God, yeah. you forget yeah. how much yeah. of a, a loner and how much of a, you know, kind of a jerk he is at first, you know? Yeah, definitely. Very yeah, cool. But that's, uh, that's my day after. What about yours? All right. Well, the Mariner sets sail once again, but it's bittersweet this time around. Even though he knows he belongs on the water, he has strong feelings for Helen and especially Enola. He decides the best way to forget about them is to sail farther out than he ever has before. He's plenty stocked with fresh water and soil and fruits and vegetables from dry land, so he decides to head past the great wave swells he calls the Thunderhead. He's never journeyed past them before, as the 30-foot waves are too treacherous to conquer. Setting the sail and securing all his belongings, the mariner sets his course and sails into the maelstrom ahead. It's an arduous journey, and more than once, the mariner thinks he's going to lose the boat, but eventually he passes the giant waves and finds calm seas beyond. As he continues to sail, he spots something in the distance. Looking through his spyglass, he's shocked to discover that it's a huge landmass. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. Ooh, okay. Mm, I like it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, well, let's hear what's going on with your immediate aftermath. It had been over a year since the mariner had stood on dry land, but now he had found more. What had started as smoke on the horizon had turned into a series of islands as a huge volcano appeared to have created them. This volcano was still pouring out magma far in the distance. Uh, they must have been there for many years, more than, the could, more than the mariner could count. And one of the islands had a small population. It was composed of well-built dwellings and they were able to grow a selection of crops on the, uh, on the island. What surprised them the most though was the small group of, of hunters who rose out of the sea shortly after he arrived. They all had gills. They were all like him. The leader, a grizzled-looking man with a huge scar down the side of his face, uh, approached the mariner. A look of distrust went through his eyes. However, once he had a close look at the mariner, the man gasped and quickly fell to his knee and bowed his head. It's him, muttered the others as they saw the mariner. It's the one. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, all right. Interesting. I like it. Thank you very much. I like getting a little mythical quality going here. Okay, but what's going on with your immediate aftermath now that uh, your mariner's found... Land. All right. Well, as he gets nearer to the landmass, he realizes it's like nothing he's ever seen before, either above the water or below. There are tall spires breaking through the sky and gleaming buildings that look like they're made of pearl. After several hours of sailing, he finally makes landfall. 
He ties his boat off, but doesn't get more than a few feet onto the beach before a group of people come running out of the nearest building. They're holding spears and don't look friendly at all. The mariner is brought inside one of the nearby buildings. None of the guards that escorts him speaks a word. They shove him into a room and he looks around, but there isn't much to see. Suddenly, a bright light turns on and he's nearly blinded by the intensity of it. Three wizened people, two women and one man, walk out of a door that he hadn't seen before and sit behind a table. Welcome, one of the women says eventually, to the great city of Atlantis. Ooh, very good. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I like it. Thank you much. Figured, kind of seemed like there might be a tie in there, so why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a little worried with your story that we might be going the same direction, so we'll see what happens with your your long term. Oh, don't, don't worry. I did... Atlantis did cross my mind, but then I thought, no. Okay. All right. Good. Whew. But, uh, okay. Which worked out well. Uh, very good. But no, I like your description. I like your description of the city as well. It sounded. Uh, I could see that on the big screen. Well, thank you. All right. Well, let's hear what's going on with King Kevin in your uh, in your ending. Okay. The Mariner had discovered the others like him had a prophecy all about the One. The One would lead them to a fabled city under the sea where they would be able to live without fear. He had not believed them, but one of them, a woman named Eber, had shown him a curious sight. Deep in the ocean near this chain of islands, amongst a small group of old buildings on the seafloor, was a statue of a man. A man who looked just like the mariner. And the buildings all had a strange marking on it. It looked like some kind of double helix kind of design. Hmm. Now following the prophecy, the mariner and his kin had almost reached their goal. However, above the points of the fabled lost city was a huge floating settlement. Bigger than any they'd ever seen before. Large ugly pipes rose from under the ocean waves and thick oily smoke poured from them. Spikes covered the walls, and numerous cages with the corpses of mutants just like the mariner and his companions were dotted around the city. They were almost at the promised land, but it looked like they would have to fight to get there. And that's my long term. All right, I like it. Yeah, thank you very much. Very cool and foreboding, and like looks like there's some uh, a big war to happen in the third chapter of your trilogy. Yes, it's the Waterworld trilogy. I like it. I would be down for that. Yeah, yeah, you could you could do it now, you know. Kevin Costner's older, but it's you know he's been traveling all this time. Right, right, absolutely. You could just or you could just pretend he's been under the water such a long time. He's just got really wrinkly. Yeah, from being right. Under the water. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm just pruny. I'm not old. I'm pruny. <laughs> yeah, it's only been two weeks since the end of the first film. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if at all we get some kind of other Waterworld film over the next ten years or so. Uh, we just had one actually. It was called Aquaman. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> not really, but it just does. It does prove that they could make that movie a lot more affordably nowadays. You know. Oh yeah, definitely because the water effects and that were yeah worked for that film. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, but that's uh, that was my long term. What's going on with yours? All right. Well, the Mariner is speechless, and the city elders go on to explain that in ancient times the city of Atlantis sunk, and the people adapted to breathe underwater. When the poles melted, the landscape shifted, and the city was brought back to the surface. Now, Atlantis' people were able to breathe in the air and underwater. The mariner reaches up subconsciously and touches the gills behind his ears. Yes, the elder says gently, you are one of us. The mariner doesn't know what to say. The elder continues, we've been watching the events of the world beyond the maelstrom that protects our city from discovery. While we're not ready to allow the entire population of air breathers into our city just yet, any people you've made bonds with that you trust would be welcome to come live here. The mariner thinks of Helen and Enola and the rest and says, I think they'd like that. Then rest, the city elder replies. We'll send for them and they'll be here soon. For now, though, welcome home. And as the mariner feels a flood of emotions rise within him, he realizes he's doing something he's never done before. He's smiling. And that's the end. Oh, I like that ending. That's good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he smiles once through the whole film. So I was like, okay, I can I can, I can put that in there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Like thank it. you, thank you. All right, well, there you go. So that is our endings for Waterworld. Phil, is it time for us to visit Trivia World? <laughs> oh, dear. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, and because of its, you know, troubled production, I could, we could have done another hour or so and all the different bits of trivia. Right. So instead, I've, I've, I've got that down to 50 minutes. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Buckle up, everyone. No, so I'm going to keep it brief with just a few of the uh, some of the things. Uh, Costner, Kevin Costner invested $22 million of his own money into the project which was actually a small drop in the ocean when you come down to the budget of the film, right. which has an estimated production budget of $175 million. That was before any publicity was put in. Uh, Joss Whedon flew out to do some last-minute rewrites, and he described it as seven weeks of hell. <laughs> the tattoo on Enola's back gives almost the exact coordinates for Mount Everest on Earth, oh, which ties cool. in with what you said at the yeah, start. Yeah. Right. Uh, neither the 1,000-metric-ton floating set nor any of the 30 boats used by the cast and crew while filming 
had any bathrooms on them. Oh, jeez. Which is just poor planning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they had to they had to stop every now and again to get people on other boats to take them to this floating barge, which had loads of toilets on. Oh, jeez. That sounds uncomfortable. However, there was one good thing. The production added $35 million to the Hawaiian economy. Right. Uh, the script had 36 different drafts, which involved six different writers. Wow. So there's there's some of your main problems there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Gene Hackman, James Kahn, Gary Busey, Lawrence Fishburne, and Gary Oldman all turned down the role of the Deacon, which Dennis Hopper ended up playing. There you go. And that's uh, that's Waterworld. Interesting. I think part of the reason there are so many drafts is, you know, originally, as I watched this documentary about it, the writer was explaining that originally he was going to do this for Roger Corman. Oh, okay. He wrote yeah. the script as like a, they said, if you write a, like a Mad Max type script, we'll make it. So he came up with the idea of doing Waterworld. And they said, well, they said, according to him in the, in the documentary, he goes, they said, are you kidding? That's like a $5 million picture. We can't make that. <laughs> so, uh. He took it to another production company, which originally budgeted $60 million for it. But then Costner got involved, so the budget went up from there. So then it went to Universal. So I think in between switching all these production companies, you also ended up with a lot of different drafts of the script, you know, as the budget ballooned and different people were brought on board and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, But interesting. God. Very interesting. Yeah, it's definitely. an interesting production, an interesting movie for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, there you go. Those are our endings for Thank You for Smoking and Waterworld. Let's move on to our new feature then, 100 Stars of Hollywood in 100 Episodes, wherein instead of taking a year from the past century of Hollywood, Phil and I are now going to take a star from Hollywood, past, present, well, not future, but past and present stars of Hollywood, uh, famous actors that everyone knows and loves, actors and actresses, and uh, we're going to share our top five performances from each actor. Uh, I thought it'd be a little bit different since we've talked about our you know, top 10 movies for 100. That's 1,000 movies we've talked about. thought it might be time to switch things up a little bit yeah. and talk about the great actors and actresses we love and what our favorite performances of theirs are, which means, of course, we'll still be discussing the movies in general, but we'll delve in a little bit more to... Uh, you know, the acting side, maybe get a chance to shine a spotlight on some films that even if it's not the the best film or didn't make our top 10 of the year might be really worth watching because it's, it's a good film or has a great performance in it. Yes, very nicely put. Yeah, you've summed it up perfectly. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to this because there's going to be, I mean, there's going to be lots of, dif- lots of different actors we can, we can pick. Yes. Uh, and yeah, and lots of different films. I just say lots of actors can give great performances in a bad film or they could just have like a cameo or something which just uh, you know blows everybody else out the water so it's going to be interesting to see what we come up with yes yes and, and I, I know for a fact that I will reveal who our first actor is in just a minute but I know for a fact that out of the one today only two of my top five were, were movies that made my top ten films of the years that they came out so three of them are movies that I've never really discussed before at least not in detail so that's kind of nice it gives us a, yeah, a, a yeah. way to talk about some different movies that like I said might not have made our top ten lists but are still worth talking about. Oh, yeah, and hopefully, dear listener, you will be as entertained as you always are. That's right. We're going to do our best. Uh, so, Phil, why don't you go ahead and reveal for people who we decided to go with for our very first installment of 100 Stars of Hollywood in 100 episodes? Yes, it is Paulie Shaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. How many, I mean, you know, listen, <laughs> I mean, we figured who who else but Paulie Shaw, the biggest movie star in the world? He, well, he, he, he was almost one of the biggest movie stars in the world for a short period he, of time. He was it? for about yeah. two years, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. No, but anyway, yes, for this, uh, our very first episode of this, we're going to be looking at Tom Cruise, that little known actor. Yeah, yeah. Well, figured, speaking of biggest movie stars in the world, if we're going to start it off, we may as well start off with probably the biggest movie star in the world, the one that everybody has seen most of his films, you know, not going to be pulling out a lot of obscure stuff that no one's ever heard of with Tom Cruise's filmography. So kind of got to start at the top, we figured, and, you know, we'll go from there and get a little more varied, but Tom Cruise seemed like a good starting point. Yeah, he's one of the few movies stars in the business who can still open a movie really. right i mean he really is just has I been think, yeah. at the top of his game you know i mean he dipped off a little bit i think in the last maybe 10 15 years in terms of not everything he makes is a huge success anymore but he's really been uber famous and uber successful for the better part of 30 35 years now and i think that's pretty pretty amazing yeah and even if you're not a fan of his you still you've got to admire what he's done and the way he's, uh, you know, the films he's been in, the fact he still keeps doing these things, and the fact he does all his own stunts in lots of his recent films, right. it just, it's just phenomenal. Uh, and also, it's he's one of the one of those people when I've had conversations, you know, you say, well, what do you think about, you know, Tom Cruise? They go, oh, I can't stand him. And then you start listing off films, and they go, oh, well, actually, I don't mind that film though. 
Oh, and I like that film. Right, right, yeah, I really right. enjoyed that one. And they're going, oh, okay, yeah, he's not he's not that bad. So, Phil, what do you think of Tom Cruise overall? Are you a fan? Yeah, I'm a fan. I, I mean, I do. I've always enjoyed watching his films. There was a period when I was going, oh, Tom Cruise, and then I realised I was being an idiot for thinking that <laughs> because I was, as, as I said, I was just I was still enjoying the films. I think it was all like the science when all the Scientology thing came out, right? And you just started reading up on that, and you're going, well, that. But you know, I just we're talking about the films. I, I like the films he does. He always gives a winning performance. Yeah, I don't mind him at all. I, and I, I, I like most of his films. Very cool. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, you know, I've always been a fan, actually. I've always liked him. I, I think he, generally speaking, makes really good movies. It's really rare that Tom Cruise makes a bad movie. I think he's quite good at, at picking roles. Oh, definitely. Um, and I've always thought he's a really talented actor. And I, I know that people, you know, disparage him. I think some people just are tired of him or, or you know, think he's too this or to that but i think he's a good actor and i i think he's uh he's always good to watch on screen so i've always liked him i've never had a problem with him yeah i think with his more recent roles though he's been playing it safe i'm not talking about the stunts but actually the choice of the roles right he's been playing it safe with many of them mm. with lots of similar things but uh... we'll see if my list agrees with you mm, okay <laughs> Okay, well, do you want to get things started? I would love to. All right, well, my number five is actually um, not a movie I thought was going to make the list at first, but it is from 2008. It is Tropic Thunder, and Tom Cruise plays Les Grossman. It's not a very big role. Uh, he's under heavy prosthetic makeup playing sort of like a bald, fat agent. And it's not exactly like an acting tour de force, but the reason I picked it is this. You know, Tom Cruise definitely takes himself seriously. I don't think he necessarily takes himself too seriously um, like some actors do, but he's definitely a guy who, who you know, he, he he's, he's can be all about the business sometimes. And, yeah, you know, yeah. he had, I think when this movie came out, had really been on a string of, of dramas and action films and really hasn't, he's really not very done very many comedies in his career. For as many movies as he's made, very few of them are comedies. And so for him to come into this role in Tropic Thunder and play this loud, obnoxious agent who does like this extended dance sequence <laughs> under his yeah. you know prosthetic makeup, I thought it was really impressive for him to... to a, to pull it off and make it believably funny, and B, just to have enough of a sense of humor to say, okay, I can take you know this small kind of cameo role in this movie, have fun with it, and not be overly serious or overly dramatic for a change. So I, I really like it mostly for what it represents, his, him having a sense of humor, being able to poke a little bit of fun of himself, you know, and take on a role that's something, you know, different and funny. And I think it's really the best part of that entire movie. Okay, that's an excellent choice. I like it. Thank you. Okay, okay. my number five is, uh, it's from 2014. It's Edge of Tomorrow, or what was it being called? Live, Die, Repeat. People call it. Or it's often called Live, Die, Repeat. And it's based on a book, a really good book called uh, called All You Need Is Kill, which I enjoyed. This is, that's, this is the sci-fi one where it's, he's, lived, he's playing a, it's a soldier who's, who's on the PR side of things. He's not there for combat, but it's an alien invasion and he ends up getting caught in a time loop and every time he dies, he comes back and he learns more and does things. But I I like this one because of the way he starts off and his character is this coward who's very vain, doesn't want to get involved in any battle. He's there just to go, just to sell the war to the public, basically. And it's... uh, He just hasn't got a clue. And I I like seeing, you know, action man Tom Cruise who just who's just is a coward he doesn't know how to use the weapons he's involved like this and he's just running away from everything and he's just panicking but and as it goes on though the character builds and gets stronger but it's still it's still got that core of vanity and and weakness within him uh but it's just i like i like seeing it was shown tom's performance was showing a slightly bigger range than he had been in recent years but he's playing this cowardly guy and he it's it was quite nuanced to consider it as a big bombastic action sci-fi film, but his performance was quite nuanced. Just the way his he developed and became more and more competent, and then more confident, and so on. And I I just I just thought it was a it was a good role in a, in a in a pretty good movie. Yeah, yeah, it is it is a good that's film. One, that's one number five. Good choice. It almost made my list actually because I do think he's pretty terrific in that film, but it didn't uh, it didn't quite. But I like it. Nice nice pick. Yeah, thank you. My number four is from 2017, actually, one of his most recent movies. It is American Made, uh, where he plays <sighs> Barry Your Seal. number four is American Made, and my number four is American Made. All right, very good. Yes. Yeah, not a movie a lot of yeah. people saw. It didn't do particularly well. Uh, it's based on a true story about uh, a pilot who becomes a CIA drug smuggler. Um, but he's really fantastic in this movie. Uh, he's kind of like... Loud and cocky, but also, but not in the typical Tom Cruise, like when he was young, kind of cocky way. He's much more like, um, yeah, yeah, very, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a really interesting role for him, though. Maybe you can expound on it a little further. Yeah, it's because he's, yeah, he's he's a real good pilot and he gets involved with the CIA, running drugs and doing all that kind of thing. As you say, he's, 
he's he's really arrogant, right? Because he's really good at what he does, and he's getting loads of money for doing it. Yeah, and he just he he thinks he's untouchable, but he's still just a normal bloke flying a plane. And it's again, it's 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 a different kind of. In one way, it's like a typical Tom Cruise performance, but it's got this more human character. This this guy full of faults. You know, he's not the best of the best, but he thinks he is. Right. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I, I think it's about a, 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 the performance. I think what makes it so good is that he's this cocky, arrogant guy who's really good at, his, at, at what he does. And he's slowly becoming overwhelmed by the situation around him. Yeah. But he doesn't show it, or at least not externally, yeah. but internally you see it. And I think that's what makes the performance so so good is that you start to see that his world kind of crumbling around him and how he is dealing with that by sort of just shrugging it off at first, you know, and not letting it. Yeah. He's like an so. ostrich isn't he? he's just sticking his head in the right, sand. Right. Or in this case, right. Sticking his head in the cocaine. Right. right exactly. Just, uh, do not, but that, that, that was also a Doug Lyman film as was edge of tomorrow. Yeah, oh yeah. There you go. So you got yeah. two from maybe film, Lyman yeah. and Cruz are a good, a good pairing then. Seems to be, but yeah, that's uh that was both of our number four. So do you want to do your number three? Yeah. Good choice there. Uh, all right. My number three is the last samurai from 2003. Oh, good choice. Yeah. And he plays a character named Nathan Algren. And um, I really like this movie. I think it's a really great kind of epic sort of drama, the type that they used to make back in like the nineties, the like your dances with wolves type of film um, that, you know, they don't really make as much these days. Um, not to say they don't make them anymore, but, but not as many as they used to uh, where uh, he plays a character, uh, an American soldier, soldier who goes to Japan ends up in like this Japanese village and, and trains in the ways of the samurai. And I think it's a great film, but I think he's really good in it. In, in, in I think for a couple of reasons. One, he brings a real gravitas to the role. Yeah. You know, we've talked about it. he can obviously play the, the cocky, arrogant character, the vain character really well. This is a role where he is not that. He is a much more serious introspective character and as the film goes on he becomes much more steeped in this Japanese culture I also think there's a really great physicality to this role in that you know Tom Cruise is is well known for being short he's not you know a tall actor but in this film he seems like a giant you know when he puts on this armor yeah and he has this sword and he's commanding these troops and stuff he he just has a presence and a and, and a, an atmosphere to him that I think is so powerful you know, um, so I think it's a great film. I think it looks terrific, and I I think that his role in it is is really just he does a fantastic job with it. That's that's a good choice. I do like that film, and he is he is great. And I know some people don't like it, but uh, no, I enjoy that film. That's a good pick. Thank you. Okay, my number three is one you mentioned. It's uh, Tropic Thunder. Very good. Where he's playing Les Grossman. Like just like you, it's the fact it was this suit he's got on and the performance, the way he talks and everything. He just you forget that it's Tom Cruise, and uh, it is this. It it's basically Les Grossman just is this actual person and i saw this interview yesterday with bill hader who plays uh les grossman's assistant he's you know and les grossman's always been abusive to him and everything but he was bill hader was saying at the table read through it was tom cruise and he was going oh my god it's tom cruise i'm gonna do all these scenes that i can't do it but then when he was filming because he was always in the les grossman suit he it was like he disassociated it it was he was just playing with this and he you know had a good laugh they'd be laughing and joking in between takes and he said it was amazing got him really well didn't think anything of it blah 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 and then it was at the premiere he was he was walking down there and Tom Cruise comes with him going, Bill, Bill, how's it going like this? And he's going, oh my God, Tom Cruise is talking to me. Ah. And it took him a minute for him to get his head round and going, no, I've been working with him for the past few months. Oh, yeah. But I quite like that. And it, it shows that what we, you know, we were t the audience was taken in by Tom Cruise and this character and also the people who worked with him. He, he became this character and it was, uh, yeah, totally different from so many of his other roles and very, very funny. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Good choice. I'm glad it made your list as well. All right, well, my number two is from 1999, and it is Magnolia, where Tom Cruise plays Frank T.J. Mackey, who is a sort of uh, a, an inspirational speaker, if you will, for men. Yeah. And he's quite a slimy character. He has a very, um, I mean, he has an amazing speech that is not amazing because it's a, it. a good speech, right? It's Yes, it's it's respect the beep and tame the beep, <laughs> uh, if you will. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty much, uh, you know, he would be right at home with these like men's rights guys nowadays you hear about on the internet who are basically just, yeah, yeah. you know, scumbags. But I mean, just his, when he comes out on screen, the first time you see him, he's giving this speech, which is basically all about, you know, how women should subjugate to men. And so while the content of the speech is reprehensible, the performance, the fire that he delivers it with is just amazing. And he's got this long hair slicked back into a ponytail and he's all over the stage and he's wearing like this button up shirt that's kind of open at the top. And he's just so like slimy, but also magnetic at the same time. Um, and then, of course, as the movie goes on, he has much more emotional depth to the character. But just even really, I remember watching that movie and 
seeing it in theaters and watching him doing this this long speech because it's a P.T. Anderson film. So it's, you know, the scenes yeah, are long yeah. and just being amazed by how crazed he is on the screen while he's giving this speech, which is just so disgusting, but just riveting to watch Tom Cruise delivering it. Uh, it's always been a performance of his that stuck with me. It's always been one of my favorite performances of his. And uh, it was the year that um, he got nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. And also Haley Joel Osment got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for The Sixth Sense. And they both lost to Michael Caine in The Cider House Rules, which I've never forgiven the Academy for because either one of those other two performances should have taken it. And neither of them did so uh so that's it magnolia my number two an excellent choice okay my number two is a film from from 2004 directed by michael mann and it is collateral uh, this is the one where tom cruise is playing vincent who was a guy that uh, jamie fox's cab driver picks up and vincent then asks uh, jamie fox to drive him around to various destinations and it turns out that vincent is a hitman and he's going around fulfilling his contracts and making sure that uh, Jamie Foxx stays with him. And it's uh, it's basically, it's Tom Cruise playing a bad guy and a real, a real, real bad guy who is very good at what he does. And he's menacing. He's got this. He's got like this grey hair. He looks. He looks a little bit different than you. He's still Tom Cruise, but looks a little bit different. And the way he holds himself and carries himself is a, a little bit different. He has some great fight scenes. He's very calm, calculated. He uses the minimum amount of movement to do to do his job. Kills a lot of people. Gives some great some great monologues as well about you know the job he does and why he does it, things like that. And it's it's a it's a chilling performance in many ways. And the fact that Tom Cruise is playing a bad guy is a, was the main difference. But it's the fact he does he does really sink into the role and does make quite a chilling contract killer. That uh, it's always it's always stayed with me. Do you know I've still never seen Collateral? Oh, you still? Oh gosh. I, I want to. Yeah. It's one of those films. Yeah, it's just, yeah. you know, it's just one of those films. You know how they are. They just sort of they get by yeah, you and yeah. you never get around to them. And that's one of them. So now I'm going to track it down because I, now I really want to see it again. <laughs> I yeah, kind of forgotten yeah. about it, but I'm putting it right back on my list. Cool, cool. Very good pick. All right. Well, my number one probably won't come as a surprise to anybody. It is one of my favorite films. It was on my top ten list, and I do think it's his best performance ever. Uh, it is from 1996, and it is Jerry Maguire. I uh, can't remember the name of the character he played in it though. No, um, anyway. Uh, um, but, uh, <laughs> Let me just look it you know, up. Uh, right. Oh, I see what you did there. You know, it's a Cameron Crowe film at, when Cameron Crowe is at the height of his greatness. Uh, and, you know, Tom Cruise, of course, plays the sports agent who who goes out on his own, starts his own agency. Uh, what I love about his performance in this, though, I mean, this was really the first movie I remember watching thinking, you know, I've always liked Tom Cruise. This was the first movie that I watched and went, wow, he is really a great actor you know and again he was nominated for an oscar didn't win which i think is a shame but what i really like about it is it does start off with him being that very typical you know tom cruise cocky arrogant you know doesn't think about the people beneath him he's in kind of a sham relationship yeah yeah and then he gets broken down to basically the lowest point in his life and then has to rebuild it from there and watching him go through that you know go through that that whole range of emotions and experiences and and humbling and and you know falling in love and treating this girl really badly and yet you still root for them to get together and then finally at the end he you know he realizes it and he he allows himself to you know become a better person it's such a convincing portrayal of that that I really do think it's it's you know it's my favorite performance of his hands down and I think it's one of his best so Jerry Maguire that's my number 1 like I said not a huge surprise but you know, I love the movie, but I really do think that it wouldn't have been the same if anybody else had played that part. Excellent. I'm glad I made your list. It almost made my list, but not quite. Uh, but my number one is one you mentioned. It's uh, 1999's Magnolia. Ah, yes. Uh, all for the reasons you said. He's playing a sleazeball. He does a, he does an amazing job with that speech. But there's also the bit later on when he's with Jason Robards, who's dying, and he's got he's uh, this this cocky guy we've seen. You know, who's you know he's going. This is what you need to do. Be confident stuff. He's sort of he's something to his dad who's dying and he just he breaks down and you see this other emotional side and he's really he just really lets it all out he just he's angry he's mad he's sad he's frustrated but he just it's another is i mean magnolia is full of all these great actors and these great scenes i mean they, they don't they all have the moment to shine and uh and every scene of tom cruise's and he's just acting his heart out he's just being amazing and he's not doing he was the best of the best he lost it all but gets it all back he's just playing a sleazeball who's who's then got to reconnect to this, you know, his father, and he does it in such a, a brilliant way. And it's just, it's always stayed with me. 
And uh, that's my number one. Very good choice. Obviously, it was my number two, so we're pretty much in agreement there. Yeah. Um, I do think it is a, a masterful performance from him. So nice pick. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's Tom Cruise. There you go. Oh, there you go. That's our first installment of 100 Stars of Hollywood and 100 episodes. Now, full disclosure, I forgot to mention this at the, the top of the segment, but uh, th- we're calling it 100 Stars of Hollywood uh, because our last segment was 100 Years of Hollywood. It may not be 100 stars, maybe 50 stars, might be 75 stars. I don't know. could be 10 if we don't like doing the segment. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, for right now, that's what we're calling it. At the moment, the plan is to take it through to episode 200, but that could change between now and then. So if we decide to change it, don't send us angry emails. I just like the, the, the 100 stars of Hollywood and 100 episodes better than calling it, you know, 50 stars of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. It, it goes with the flow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there you go. That's our first installment of that. Uh, and that is going to start to wrap up our episode. But before we go, Phil, why don't you tell people what would we have in store for them next week? Okay, so next time we're going to be going after the ending of Little Miss Sunshine and Memento. So that's... That should be quite interesting. Yes, yes. Yeah, and also we'll be looking at our top five favorite performances by Meryl Streep. Yeah, another one of the biggest, uh, biggest, most famous actors in the world. Like I said, we're going to get pretty diverse in our in our actors. We'll get some younger people, some older people, some classic Hollywood people. You know, we're going to really mix it up, but... Uh, I figure I may as well start with the biggest of the big, right? Yeah, so Meryl Streep's going to be hard to nail down to five good performances. <sighs> yeah, I know. She's, you know, she, she's rubbish in everything. <laughs> <laughs> she's terrible. I don't even know why we picked her. <laughs> she's only been about two films. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, and her career only dates back a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. But we'll, we'll try and make it interesting for you all at least. We certainly will. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. So that's our episode and that is us. Uh, We're going to sign off for now. But before we do, as always, we want to thank everybody for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. I was trying to think of a way to like do the intro and sound like I was underwater. Like, (laughs) hello and welcome to After the Ending. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That would just sound terrible. <laughs> I don't think anybody would be interested in listening to that. No. I've got some more to hear. What's this like? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Good. And now you have to drink that water you just spit into for the rest of the episode, Phil. Oh, and I've got a soggy mustache. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, try the fish. Yeah. <laughs> this is the perfect episode for that, isn't it? <laughs> She's making her way through the thong of reporters. Throng, not thong. The thong. <laughs> making her way through the thong of reporters. That's a different kind of film, Mike. Right, that would probably end up with uh, a different kind of trial. Okay. <laughs> Hold on, sip of water. Sip of water. Water world, get it? <laughs> hey, That's my best water joke so far. So. It's a, yeah. uh, what have we come to? Okay. Brutal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, it wasn't even that funny. Oh, okay. It was funny because it wasn't that funny. Yeah, yeah. That made it funnier. Comedy torture is my favorite kind of torture. Oh, Look, yeah. My favorite kind of comedy. Can't even get that right. <laughs> how many? How many favorite types of torture do you have, Phil? Oh, I've got so many different kinds of torture. Uh, no wonder you always put serial killers into your uh, into your endings. Yeah, comedy torture is my favorite. The truth starts to come. You don't out. want to see the room I'm recording in at the minute. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Oh, my mouth's just gone dry after you said that. Uh, oh, God. I'm trying to think. That, okay. That one physically <laughs> That was a real bad one. Yeah. Yeah, suddenly uh, I just can't think of any more water puns. That's okay. Oh. I think it's okay. Well, I'm feeling a bit salty about the whole thing. That was real bad. Forget that one. <laughs> just yeah, make, all you're doing is actually, making I'm, more editing work for me, you know. I know. I know. Water. <laughs> what? Water. <laughs> I'm going to make more water puns just for the halibut. But I'm pumped. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, you big drip. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I like getting a little mythical quality going here. Yeah, you gotta get gotta get your mythical myth oh, I can't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> I had such great hopes at the start of that sentence. <laughs>